Hello and welcome to Home Impressions, a podcast where we ask our guests to tell us five encounters with people, objects or ideas that have had a lasting impact on their practice and have shaped the artists we see today. Today, I'm super excited to be joined by multidisciplinary artist and designer working as a perfumer, Ezra Lloyd Jackson, who I've had the pleasure of collaborating with on Ascent for my brand, for my fashion brand. And he's also worked with artists including Anthea Hamilton, um, Julian Knox, R.I.P. Jermaine, um, Speakers Corners Quartet, and has shown his work at places like ICA, Welcome Collection, Barbican. So really just quite a fabulous roster of places and people. Um, he grew up in Southeast London and his practice spans from scent to sound, graphic and product design, illustration. And more recently, we collaborated on an installation with scent and sound at the VNA for Holmes VNA late in February. And even more recently than that, which is still open now until the end of June, he made a scented sculpture for uh, my show to be held at Carl Friedman Gallery, um, which is the first that I've ever seen anything like it. So welcome to Home Impressions. Hey. How are you doing today? I'm great. I'm great. How are you doing today? I'm fantastic. Super excited because I feel like I'm talking to you at a really pivotal and important moment in your practice as an artist and kind of encompassing all your different disciplines and having launched your brand so recently and so actually the day that this episode comes out is the day before your in real life like real launch for your brand Dea. how are you feeling about that yeah feeling good um it's been it's been incredible so far i think we've come to like so many learning curves so quickly and it's just like working up like we're using every single curve as a kind of you know leapfrog um i'm just super grateful to be working with amazing people uh i've got to give a shout out as well though because i've shown some work here where we're recording at the moment construct gallery <laughs> with my guy shimba masai um i did some scent design here and i think uh all of the years i've been working with scent which is really like going on like nine years in total when i first started experimenting wow. um has come to a tea with dea and wow. um, applying a lot of the perfumery skills I've learned in the last five years um, with a lot of the kind of social and more real life um, lessons uh, I've learned through scent design mm -hmm. and working with different people and exploring empathy on that level. Um, well, it sounds yeah. like we've got a whole lot of leap of things we've to talk about, a whole heap, in fact. <laughs> um, so why don't we start by you telling us about your first impression? Cool. So I had to... Um, it's had to go back to some of the kind of like fundamentals for me. Mm -hmm. um, and this album came out in 2011. I must have been like 14 around that time, 13, 14. And um, yeah, the We're, We're New Here album by Jamie XX and Girls Got Heron. And it was one of those projects that, I mean, even to this day, I was bumping it in the lab recently with uh, with my right hand, Riley Agatha, shout out. Um, we were listening to it and just, just deep in like how much has come from that. I mean, even like, you know, Jamie XX's tunes with, with like Young Fug and like, you know, that sound that he kind of cemented in electronic music is still mad relevant. Like New York is killing me um, mm. on that album is still like, you know, it sounds like it could come out yesterday, yeah. but also like it could come out in a month's time, a year's time. It's like this timeless like in that way. Um, and I think for electronic music, similar to like James Blake's album, for me, it almost like set its own kind of like 
subgenre like niche in itself. It was like a cult thing and inspired so many producers. Um, I've been playing music all my life. My dad uh, used to and still does sometimes um, play djembe, but he used to build djembe drum drums from scratch, which is a West African drum. Um, he used to host like a load of workshops and I'd go with him as his like, little assistant. <laughs> uh, he used to at my primary school actually. And um, <laughs> uh, I went to the same primary school as Yusuf Days and he said, I remember the lessons that your dad used to give us. <laughs> um, they had impact, you know, because he would talk yeah. more about breathing um, and we'd always work in a circle. Um, and these are all things that are kind of like coming weirdly full circle back into my practice now. Because yeah. um, I remember you also telling me about the smell. Yeah, that was a super strong element. Like goat skin is like a crazy nostalgic uh, smell for me, as, as well as the smell of like curing wood um, and like that smell of rope. Um, and that he'd always have his big bag of like tools, like like very metallic uh, smell in the air as well. But um, anyway, I, I've always been, music's always been like a super strong part of my life, my family's life. It's like um, really tra channeled through us. But yeah, this, this album I just had to pick because I think now looking at it, um, and listening back to Gil Scott Heron's, Gil Scott Heron's original album too, um, you know, uh, New York is Killing Me by him is one of my favorite songs as well. Um, but it's the level of kind of care Jamie XX mm. took those vocals and just made such different things. Yeah. Um, like we talk a lot about, you know, sampling and, and music making, but I think that was just an example of it being done so well and making a whole new space. And in a way, fragrance I see in a similar kind of setting Mm. um with with my approach um now but and has that like empathy and kind of circularity and also what you were saying about your dad and the breathing exercises does that come into your practice i guess all round or specifically when you make music because the piece that you made for the vna was the longest piece of music that you had made so far right Seven uh minutes. yeah one of definitely one of um I've probably got some like old like 12 minute demos knocking around somewhere <laughs> on a hard drive. But um, yeah, to be honest, I, I, I've kept and still keep a lot of my music quite low key, but it's just been great to like see it experienced um, slowly as I'm getting it out there. And like the VNA uh, was a great example of that. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about um, about the installation at the VNA? Yeah. Um, so it was in the Raphael Gallery. Um, like a super huge space, mad high ceilings. And uh, I, I'd moved to Berkhamstead uh, in Hertfordshire. Um, so I'd been like seeing the horizon and going on these crazy long walks, like coming from South. You know, we have a lot of parks in this city, which is amazing, but you don't get that same sense of depth. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to channel some of that sense of, uh, like the sensation of seeing the horizon, I think ticks certain things in the brain. Um, it allows you to kind of see beyond your immediate, obviously, but within your like thinking and thought patterns, I think you can start to, you know, become the eagle rather than the mole from like certain yeah. habitual cycles you might be in. And um, I wanted to take that space, which is full of these, you know, spectacularly like huge, like spectacle, like paintings and recharge the space kind of like comfortably, um, alienate the space from itself to create something new for people to experience. And I did that with smell, creating kind of two bookends um, of like familiarities um, that I've recognized through myself and through like conversation. One being lavender, which to like a lot of European people and British people is like a really 
uh, culturally nostalgic smell that goes back generations of being used in like wash houses and washrooms, etc. And then um, I took vetiver and built like a cocoa butter feel around it um, as the other bookend. So as you walked around the space, mm. um, you would go from, depending on, you know, where you're coming from, uh, familiar to unfamiliar or unfamiliar to familiar. And uh, obviously there was like a cross point halfway, which has made a smell of the mix of both. Um, we emitted the smell by making these drapings that we did together, um, you and I, and using fans to like tactically place fans to blow uh, the scent around. And like as people would go through certain parts of the patches, it would be like smaller and more, mm -hmm. you know, intimate and then wider spaces to let people breathe. And then I placed, again, tactically like speakers, subs and high speakers to play the music. And um, it was incredible, like mm -hmm. watching people genuinely engage and genuinely share stories of what they found familiar. You know, you hear like, oh, it smells like my grandparents or mm -hmm. something, but coming from two completely different perspectives and they would kind of meet in the middle and talk why, you know, one was close, one was wasn't. what was also really interesting about it was having it being in the Raphael cartoons with these huge tapestries and yeah. like the V&A obviously being a point of contention and conflict, I think, for a lot of us, like for sure. artists who are not necessarily, wouldn't identify necessarily solely as British or being in these spaces that have such a dense history and especially in the Raphael cartoons where it was so intentional that we had the lights super low. So mm. you were not really focusing on, it wasn't to take away from them, but it was to change the focus and the experience in the room. I think the experience of that room is so visual and it was so interesting to be able to create an experience where the first, well, the first kind of touch point was scent or sound, which yeah. is kind of unusual. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's why I decided to go with those bookends. One that mm. again was very familiar to the kind of person who, you know, uh, knows about what VNA stands for yeah. and what it means. And then someone who is kind of unfamiliar in that place or a bit alienated because at times I walk through there and it's like, you know, it's not always the easiest place to navigate. Yeah. That's why I introduced those odor profiles. But again, more to the to the point that you're saying, like turn the lights down, that really comes from this uh, embodiment of taking up space and like reshaping it, terraforming, I call mm. it, like olfactory terraforming. It's what I did a lot of in my yard in, in Berkhamstead. What like, does that mean, olfactory uh, terraforming? It's not like a thing, it's my thing, you know. But what does it mean to you? To me, it's, uh, you know, terraforming is reconditioning space, um, generally like geologically speaking, to like, you know, accommodate a certain function or, you know, process. But olfactory terraforming is more kind of metaphysical. Mm -hmm. It's building that environment which uh which is not necessarily just about the physical objects maybe the physical objects that have smell contribute to that for sure um like i've got these old gunning sculptures that have that that mm. woody smell that aged wood smell that definitely contribute but i think it's the uh it's it's the the the, the deep mind um and in a way kind of ancestral sense of reshaping like what is might be quite a placid or an unfamiliar scent environment mm. to certain as yours in the form of incense, in the form of Florida water, in the form of um, even just, you know, the spices we cook with. Mm. I think smell is so powerful and profound in that way because it's one of the, the kind of deepest uh, felt things that places you in that moment and places you in, in a presence or in a space. Which is also mad because I think before meeting you, scent was something I always enjoyed wore perfumes and had candles and 
enjoyed like my house smelling nice and things like that but it wasn't something that I had been presented in a way that I feel I was able to engage with or have autonomy over or understand so when we started talking about making a scent for Selassie it was such an expansive experience for me in the sense that I got to think about and express things in a medium that I know so well you know when you go into any smell any environment like if it doesn't smell good you know it straight away and if it does smell good you know notice it um and I think tapping into that from like a familial and a how you call it story mining or memory mining mining. is super interesting so even going back to those bookends of lavender Mm -hmm. and vetiver yeah um I think the lavender is super interesting and I think one of my favorite stories that I've heard you tell loads of times about your grandma kind of brings us into your second impression but also kind of riffs nicely off why lavender was important to you as a scent yeah um Lavender, well, lavender grows a, a lot around South and like um, it's something that I've been raised in London has just always been present. Um, but I think it's uh, off of the bat of that, um, like last point, again, like those those identities and those kind of cultures exist within me uh, as like a parallel um, with like my Jamaican and British heritage. Um, I, one day when I was like 17, I showed my grandma who's originally born in Kingston um, came here in 58, settled in 59. Uh, I showed her a stick of lavender that I picked from like round the corner. And um, this was, I was like 17. And uh, yeah, she described it as fresh and clean and the kind of, you know, green and the things that you would normally associate um, lavender to be if you don't have that nostalgic connection. Mm. Um, and then she said, oh, it smells exotic. And that really like changed um my perspective, not just on like, you know, what we kind of deem as like familial sense, but really like who's defining exotic and where that's coming from. Um, a lot of people speak on this really well. Um, but this idea of white being like the neutral um, is really dangerous uh, in in a sense of centering experience. And I think it's important that we have the agency to take that back and smell is uh, tarred by the same brush, you know, so we... Um, my grandma saying that really uh, yeah, made me check like the definition, you know, like quite literally like exotic is to be outside of where you're natively from. So to her, by definition, it is because mm-hmm. lavender doesn't really grow like that in Jamaica. Some people are trying to. But it's, <laughs> it's techie. Um, but yeah, then on my other side, like my other grandma, you know, they were raised very, very, very poor in Birmingham and used lavender while they were drying their clothes in their like in their, one of their like barns and or sheds in the back. And um, that was that was like a their form of perfume in a way um and kind of you know keeping certain insects away keeping like bad spirits away stuff like that so um that that the weight of this one material this one plant holding such different contexts and associations from young really uh fascinated me um i think we could even say that about jamaica knowing that you went for the first time in January yeah, and the kind of preconceptions that you maybe had of it, experiences, stories, things you expected or assumed of it compared to how you went. Yeah, so Jamaica was, Jamaica was peak. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I didn't come back the same person in the best of ways. Um, so yeah, I was only there for like, actually like, you know, out and about for 11 days, but I managed to see uh, three parishes in total. So Kingston, Trelawney and... Um, uh, Blue Mountains. Um, I spent most time, well, equal time between Kingston and Trelawney. 
um, stayed in a place called Falmouth and I went to Duncanstown quite a lot, which is like old, old Jamaica. And there was so much, I mean, so much life in Kingston, seeing that first, um, going to like, I went to this island called Lime Key uh, on my very first day and uh, with my friend Babirie. And that was, that was a, an insight into the level of abundance and the offering uh, of the level of beauty that Jamaica has, um, which, which was mind blowing. Um, but more so like I've, I had this like constant sense of deja vu. I was like living in it. Like I'd been there before mm. um, and existed there before and walked those similar streets. And I made conscious effort to, um, I had conversations with my grandma, must have made like, you know, like an hour long voice note of her just trying to like <laughs> talk about one thing and it spiraled out. But I went to a place called Hope Gardens, um, walked miles there from where I was staying. Um, she used to go there as a teenager. And I think it's a very different place now, but um, literally walking those same streets, uh, spoke to this again sense, this, this knowing, which is not like my nostalgia. Um, it's not my personal lived experience, but it's having someone who's one step removed um, and has had no link, but still finds familiarity and mm -hmm. confidence in the nuances in the body language and the, you know, mannerism, you know, I, I, I don't really, it wasn't really spoke much around the house a little bit when I was a kid, but I could understand Patois like that. And it was like these kind of things that <clears throat> um, are just in us. Um, but yeah, Jamaica was uh, incredible. Um, weirdly like a lot of uh, a lot of like scent ideas made a lot of sense and I, I had this experience recently actually um why I think it's like really really key um that um fra fragrance is not kind of left out of the conversation when we're talking about um decolonizing the senses or and we need to understand like how kind of deep-rooted it is um there are jobs in the fragrance industry where people just define what a material is uh, mm -hmm. and they kind of prime people who are making fragrances on what that material can be used for um, or what that is a suggestion of. And I was smelling with a, um, our um, intern at the lab, Anais, um, and she was uh, saying that something to her smelled quite like, um, like pears, um, quite green. And uh, this material, um, I believe it was Alpha Damasco and it's called, um, I smelt it and it reminded me of when I was eating fresh sugar cane mm. uh, in Jamaica. Um, it's got this sweetness to it. It's kind of that burst of like juice and like hydration you get when you first sink your teeth into like a piece of sugar cane. Uh, and then that kind of like molassesy treacle um, character, it's all in that. And that perspective wouldn't have been given um, by people who haven't been to Jamaica, right, haven't lived course, it in that way. Of course. Um, but you know, when we're talking about a material that that's then going to be sold um, to bigger companies and primed again and again and again before it's even put in a finished product, it's like wow. that's how kind of deep rooted the thing is. So, um, yeah, um, moments like that were really important. And also, kind of looking for perfumers or perfumes that are made in Jamaica or in the Caribbean. <laughs> Yeah, I tried. <laughs> Sound like <laughs> I really tried. I went to a lot, a lot of shops, and people would just laugh um, or look really confused when I asked, like, what was Jamaican made? Um, and I've done some digging, and there's like a, uh, you know, one, two brands out there, but I don't think they're actually, you know, perfumers um, p making the fragrance. They'll buy the fragrance oil and just put alcohol with it. Um, 
the one obviously is is Benjamin's Florida water, mm. which I'll get to later a little bit, but has a whole kind of history in, of usage around it and um, yeah, Canon. Um, but yeah, that was the only one that uh, I I'm think it's an, an interesting. Well, I say interesting probably as opposed to saying sad or projections of the way that, I mean, I'm from Barbados. I've spent a lot of time in Barbados and my mom's from there and things that are made there or, you know, the craft of people there. It's unfortunately like even people who are there still look to the West for the nod on like what's valuable. Absolutely. Um, and I think it will be, I was speaking to this recently with friends, Ashley Amoy, who have a brand called Aja, um, based in New York and now Moya is based in Jamaica and talking about how we're gonna kind of hopefully be the generation who, you know, our, what our parents and our grandparents and ancestors have done have got us to this place and now it'll be for us to kind of reshape and start to change the conversation because we have so much more access and opportunity and conversation and then they were able to have them they had the privilege of having um Absolutely. and we're able to move you know mm -hmm. <laughs> how many of our like parents or families like my dad my dad's mom's from jamaica and he went twice as a teenager and then never went back and i spoke to him yesterday and i wanted to say um you know, I want to speak to his sister, Auntie Paulette, and find out if she knows anyone in Jamaica. My dad seemed like really excited about the prospect, but mm. it won't be his job to do that because mm. he got here and he got, you know, to the point that I can be here doing what I'm doing. So now it's for me to kind of start tying that back together. But um, I hear that. I hear that. I mean, I think, yeah, there's the the, the, the wide social um, aspects and we have to give thanks, you know, to the, like, mm. the Gilroys and... Stuart Hall's people have really pushed this conversation um, beyond before us and Absolutely. the shoulders we're standing on. But also, it's as you said, it comes down to what happens in the families, what happens to like, you know, again, my dad's never been to Jamaica. Yeah. I took that trip completely alone and um, built some new bridges there um, for my future little ones. And um, that's that's what it comes down to when it comes to big industry stuff. Mm. I've literally like spoken to these people at conferences about, you know, what's your involvement in the Caribbean? And they just simply aren't bothered because there's not enough capital in their yeah. opinion. Um, they just don't care. So it's like, all right, cool. Um, there are, there are like, you know, there are ways and mm. it would, you know, these things weren't built in a day. So it would take time, but there are ways to infiltrate that to, um, I mean, I think even the, the fact that you've got a scented sculpture, that's informed by your experiences and the experience of many others, the way that you kind of speak to people about fragrance at Carl Friedman at the moment. And, you know, you've taken probably hundreds of people that night in your story, at the, on your story, in your journey at the VNA. And I mean, working yeah, so <laughs> around her, like doing stuff at Roundhouse yeah. at the moment and so many other projects coming up, it's like, it's the beginning of that for sure. Um, but before we go on one, one, two whole big tangent, um, <laughs> Tell us about your third impression. Uh, my third impression um, has to be my first time seeing the lab that I work at now, Old Fiction, which was founded by Pia Long and Nick Gilbert seven years ago, as of like two Wednesdays ago, wow. which is wild. Um, I worked in this niche perfumery shop called Rulier White um, before, uh, run by this guy called Michael Donovan. And it wasn't really uh, for me, like the retail thing. I'd done retail before, but um, I was more interested in the storytelling um, aspect of what scent could could be, and 
the the, the level of, of storytelling, um, the nuances you can go into that I'd never really been exposed to or thought about before. Um, because as I say in those same conferences, <laughs> um, perfumery with a capital P comes from European aristocracy, from the Italians and then the French who popularized it to what it is today. And that in itself, um, it was a limited craft. You know, not everyone had the money, time or connections to make, to draw on these oils that were being sourced from, you know, recently colonized or um, with these trade routes that were, were formed, you know. And this is this is where things have changed now. And it's a it's an interesting kind of turning point because these things are accessible, not just the practice but the knowledge and we're starting to understand the history to some of these supply chains i mean there's there is so deep like to do <laughs> it's so take it would take so long to talk about all of them in one thing but um when we start to think of it as a monopoly um and understand um that where these oils actually coming from um in a lot of these popular perfumes aren't from the native countries that that they're sold in um, for example, Madagascan vanilla. Um, that's why I don't say things are vanilla anymore because the conditions, you know, mm -hmm. farmers keep semi-automatic rifles um, for the, to protect their crop um, from people trying to poach to go to these distilleries that are like part French owned or part European owned or whatever. And um, people like Nuri McBride um, and Darnell Masri can lend like the kind of scale of that um, of the everyday, um, how that comes in. Um, how did you first feel when you got to the lab? Yeah, when I got to the lab, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, it's such a big talking point. Like there's there's too many points to be made. Like, how to be honest, do you get from like... The focus isn't on that. I want to focus on like what, what can be done next. Um, but how do you find yourself like on one little young... How old are you? 21. Yeah, I was 21. One little I, young 21-year-old in the middle of absolute nowhere on the National Rail Train because the actual, it's not part of London. <laughs> the train doesn't even go there. We have to really buy a ticket on the train line. Look, I just knew how there were no labs <laughs> like that in South. Like, how do you find was, yourself there yeah. and how do you feel? Anyway, yeah, looping back to the story, um, I, I was able to uh, convince Michael Donovan to get me in with Nick Gilbert, who's the co-founder of All Fiction, and met him at Euston. Uh, station <laughs> and um again just I just had to shoot my shot and like put myself forward for this thing that I had no idea you know <laughs> what, what was. I was getting into <laughs> like I had like a GCSE in chemistry did pretty well at it but I didn't have the years of retail training or experience in fragrance specifically I didn't you know have a master's in chemistry none of that but coming from where I came from, my practice and my way really of looking at creating and designing and, and making art in general, I think they could see that. Um, I had a I had a an eye and a nose and I just I was ready um to to take on this new thing. And in the years that I've been there, it's been a very unorthodox route. I decided consciously not to go to France and um learn that way, which is a legitimate way for a lot of people, but I wasn't interested in getting into the corporate structure. I wanted to understand the craft um, and the industry from a bit of a distance um, as well as like, yeah, really focuses on what I said, like learning how to s tell stories and channel stories in this medium that previously was just 
so alien to me. Like, again, like I didn't grow up talking about being a perfumer. That was nowhere in my scope. Um, as I said, my dad was a musician and my mom's a, an artist. Um, we actually collaborated on a fragrance, which is on at, in the Milk Exhibition. Welcome at the moment. Um, but so like, I knew there were different ways of, you know, profession, but that was still out, out of the, you know, my mind frame. But anyway, I go to all fiction and uh, this was when we, we were in our first unit in this weird like industrial complex. And I met this woman called Pia Long. I just saw this woman in the lab coat with pink hair and I was like, wow, like <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's what this looks like. This is different. Um, and uh, we were sitting down. She was like showing me these materials. She had like everything lined up in these bottles, different like isolates and aroma chemicals and essential oils and resins and all these things. And I, my mind was just instantly blown. One of the things that they told me, I think on that day was, um, that essential oils are made of a series of different chemicals naturally in the oil is just like nature makes these formulas um, on their own and the perfumer picks them apart and pulls from one and another and another and another to make like a whole new shape and that blew my mind um but yeah she showed me um she showed me something she worked she'd worked on which was a cactus accord and cacti don't smell but she'd made the wow. idea of one and it was this this very green, almost slightly kind of waxy like cactuses shape, but like it had like spikes, like pins over it, like the, like the needles. And um, yeah, that, that was just like, okay, cool. It's over I'm with. In. Like I'm here. <laughs> like I can, you know, I can, I can make, same way like I studied code at the time, same way you can make whatever you can think of. You just have to technically mm. know how to get there. Uh, smell was the same reasoning. So like four and a half years later here I am and um I've progressed from literally like making coffees and dusting tables to being the perfumer there now um so I work on client projects with with uh (laughs) Pia and you know um of course been maintaining my own scent design practice the whole time and how like we've talked a lot about this and I think what's really interesting is knowing having a type of education kind of formally at the lab um but then making your own fragrances, which is so tied in storytelling. And I think the experience of your fragrances is so, for me, is so accessible. Actually, the fragrance that's launching when this comes out tomorrow, Carver at Jumbi in Peckham. Um, let me not tell the bookends. You tell, yeah, because <laughs> it's just that I think that one blew my mind because it took me to such a particular place. And yeah. I think to go from seeing where, hundreds Where did it of, take you? Took me to like year seven, you know, Great. year seven. So it's, it starts at Black Grape, K Black Grape, uh-huh. ends at Prosecco. <sighs> and it took me straight back to like being in Walthamstow with my like little group of friends when we all thought we were big and bad and went to McDonald's every day after school, which I shouldn't have been at. And I was like watching my phone because I need to be home in the next 10 minutes. <laughs> and going to the corner shop and getting like, you know, the red Doritos and... Mm-hmm like hot and spicy knickknacks and ka black grape or rubicon mango you know like (laughs) free sugar tax right (laughs) right. it took me straight back there having that skying that one sip of someone else's black grape you know and like just the the fizz and like the juiciness and like to smell that what like 15 over 15 years later to smell fragrance that took me to that place but a very joyful open side of that place you know where you're sure. early teens just started secondary school discovering everything yeah but that kind of like daring like kind of can i get away with yeah, this kind exactly, of feel? exactly i mean that was literally just memory mining in real time and that's that's what i'm most interested in is 
um, rather than ex again exoticizing or fetishizing another culture or, or you know another reality that fundamentally isn't lived, is more like going in and embodying like uh, a lived experience from a younger time or from like an ancestral experience. And but how do you even? How did you get there? Because I have never been to perfumery school, but I'm pretty sure that's not what they're teaching over there. It was. And I've said this before, but like it really and truly is this it's a very sincere and precise exploration of like pure empathy and working mm. through these memories um and ex experiences with people. It's not just a kind of literal like what was this, when was this? It's the feeling. It's the like you said, that sensation of like, oh, I'm kind of being cheeky right now. <laughs> It's those those things are always part of my uh, intention and goal is to like evoke that, bring that to the surface. Um, all of it joyful, you know, as much as possible. Like mm. joy is always the the kind of like cornerstone um, to the kind of experience I just want to bring for people. But that's what the memory mining is. Someone at first might say, "Ah, oh, it's sweet," and I'm like, "Why?" And oh, it smells fruity. Oh, why? What's the fruit? Oh, kind of like sweets, like you get from a corner shop. Okay, you getting a drink with that? Uh, yeah. <laughs> have you ever had K.A. Black Grape or have you ever had Bigger? And they're like, oh, that's it. And <laughs> this the, to see their eyes light up and it's like bringing, like literally bringing forth a part of their mm. mind and their soul that maybe hasn't been like activated before. Scent is the catalyst to that. Um, but yeah, Carver, so Carver, yeah, with a K, K-A-V-A, -A, um, starts as uh, like, cover like red wine the spanish wine the prosecco kind of fizzy um it has that texture very much it's like lively and energetic um and then goes to the to the black grape flavor and it was the first fragrance that um i'd made following conversations um a lot of conversations with riley but the first thing from when dea was like cemented like tail end of last year and we'd been speaking a lot about bookends um, and I, as I was saying with V&A's bookends, I'm always talking about bookends, bookends, bookends. Um, but seeing these two kind of like um, certain points, if you want, on a spectrum of experience uh, and then like how they cross over mm. and the nuances that happen in the middle. And we were really talking a lot about race and class dynamics in the fragrance industry, um, how people want to kind of pretty themselves up or pretend to be uh, a certain character or whatever to fit this old idea of luxury again, which is housing European aristocracy. And we were talking about how we're just so not that and coming from where we're coming from. Um, I took like, you know, grape <laughs> as a starting point <laughs> and wanted to look at like the two bookends of that. Mm. So the context of where someone might be drinking like Carver, um, the Prosecco wine, uh, but then the context of someone might be drinking, you know, um, yeah. fizzy drink. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if they're going to come for us after this. <laughs> but yeah, like seeing like, you know, like where do those worlds cross over? Um, and then obviously my kind of style is like, I like to make like a hyper-realistic, uh, like scent object, um, and then house it in like a more perfumed context if you want. So there's obviously a lot more going on, but mm. it reads as those two things and then goes into this oud direction, which is like a grape oud thing. I was just really excited by the idea of that. And it worked. I love how playful your practice is and how across the different disciplines that you work within, there's a play and there's a joy I think that comes out and it's I think it's really beautiful to observe and I think it's really beautiful to be able to enjoy through a piece like a fragrance that I can wear around or we can wear um and 
through sound where you dropped your you finally released something to the world um like <laughs> over a year after I initially asked you to but still it eventually <laughs> came out or actually probably wasn't that long ago when you did music with service for our friend um Ricky's brand yeah yeah big up Ricky and um, there's just such that a came play. out when I was in Jamaica actually um that was really fun um there's so much music that's like unreleased and all these ideas that will come to light um however many times people ask me mm-hmm. uh but yeah it's um it, a lot of it's a similar kind of approach i guess is just trying to take existing structures and play with them and very very gloriously talking about existing structures um could you tell us about your fourth impression yes um my fourth impression uh was the uh wakefield hepworth um like center um that 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 kind of that that really uh gave me a, a an understanding i guess um of of an artist and artists that i'd known for a while like her and henry moore and noguchi um kind of put them in a new light and place them in a different context i think mm-hmm. i'd seen some of her like you know wing figures sculptures around and things but being in her process watching like her develop the seeing the maquettes she made and these other forms that um, really like tied back into you know her experience um, and time spent in place like Cornwall. Um, it just opened my mind to what what they could mean and how how these feelings can like transfer through medium. Um, so like yeah, some of the some of the pieces like some of the figures and uh, shapes forms she made right around the sixties, early sixties in particular. Um, they have this like incredible scale to them. Um, and I relate it back to like the feeling you might get being in a cave um, in like a secluded beach or something like that. And when you if you can like find find a way, um, there's that sense of kind of awe and wonder that like this whole structure could crush you in a second. It could like fill up with water. It could like, you know, um, all these things. But it's ultimately a protective thing. And obviously her responding to, you know, the war and all the like uh, the travesties and effects of war, like psychologically, I think her going to these like wide spaces and seeking those points of protection um, just really intrigued me. And I started to yeah look at the relationship um, to like Henry Moore's sculpture and his like reclining figures and the, like the, the family like figures and sculptures he'd make. They all linked to this yeah sense of kind of wonderment of uh, a greater other or a greater being like protecting you. And um different to how like a you know a skyscraper is designed um to like look overwhelming or like you know to really like stand out and like look intimidating um yeah there's that sense of sense of uh being held and that it was a great time to see it um it immediately like charged a lot of ideas working with um uh with Dea and making the fragrance uh packaging right um because it it led to like um yeah, trying to find ways to like translate ideas from scent to product design to graphic design to all these different like kind of forms. And uh, I made what is called, what I call the cradle. Um, again, inspired by the process from Hepworth of this idea of being held and cradled in a way. And um, trans- translated that to to be the, the folder that we put our eight mil um, bottles in. Um, but yeah, I, which is the first fragrance um, and the signature, um, which I can talk more after, but that 
definitely holds that that sense of being close to skin, um, almost like it's coming from the body. But there's definitely a a part of it that feels like you're being like wrapped up in self in a way. And um, the the cradle design mirrors that in how the bottle is kind of yeah nurtured and and like hot, held um, in the middle. I think one thing I found so inspiring about watching the process of um, of Dea and you wholeheartedly so intentionally thinking about all aspects of the experience Mm. are seeing what you've been able to create with your own hands and I think it's really important for people to like see and understand like which is why I have my little clip video of you in the lab that I'll show people (laughs) anytime I want to whip out eye to like spritz someone up (laughs) because like the fact that you make the packaging by hand you've like designed with your team this incredible innovative one piece of card that cradles and holds the fragrance um big ups to riley and to anique jasmine as well on that um we work so solidly together but i mean that's day a day is like everything is done like by me by us like i'm the perfumer on it but i'm also doing all the graphic design and like literally compounding filtering weighing everything myself in the lab um, Riley's been doing a lot of the like packaging cutting, but we we cut it there with the machine ourselves, and you know everything is very meticulously like cared for, and um, yeah, it's the same level of care really as the whole process has yeah. been of you know the conversations I've held and been honoured to hold. You know, I has been in development for like four years, and I've had so many conversations, especially through twenty twenty, um, about taking up space, about ceremony, about you know lost and current family members and all of these all these moments uh and and like sincere memories that people has come to the surface for people that i feel very much like uh you know i've just channeled you know for them or being able to facilitate that memory mining process um it only is right that this stage as well is as meticulously cared for i think it has to be and i feel i really relate to that in terms of like making and building home and then Selassie and now kind of being in this period of opening the door to let myself in to my practice and kind of being able to understand and give that care back to myself in terms of what I want to do next and what I want to do now and being so intentional about every step. Like I think when we do build things, ourselves like how the girls and I the team and I at home built home and with only within our means we had to do whatever we could to like make it happen but I think it's so beautiful when we kind of as artists are able to create something that's so impactful just with what we have and Mm. I think there's often this kind of pressure to for something to be approved by someone else or a certain standard or a certain like in certain places or whatever I was talking actually the other day about the films that I've been making recently and they're not the high production 5,000 people on set productions but they're the things I have a camera available my phone can record sound and I can use um Premiere Pro (laughs) so like it's just what I can do but these are the projects at the moment that are filling me so much because they're the ones that I'm able to control and I can be meticulous about all the details and I think that's super important and kind of another thing that makes it makes that even more personal is when so work of yours, I, when you hand it over to someone, I think because of all that care, because of all that intention, you feel, I think, as the kind of viewer in this way or the person who's experiencing it, we then take it on and feel like it's actually ours. And it's so funny because like- That's it. I feel like 
I as mine and mean certain things to me. And yesterday we were with Nick from St. Ogun, who's yeah, made a up. yeah made an exclusive cocktail that's going to be at the <laughs> night tomorrow. And it was funny because he was saying, no, I is mine. <laughs> <laughs> but that, I mean, so, that's why I named it that, um, you mm-hmm. know, was was for that sense of ownership. And it's always like, you know, running kind of joke I had with myself is that if you compliment the fragrance, you're complimenting yourself at the same time. Very smooth, um, very smart. <laughs> but that, that again, is, char- is charged with yeah. with all of that. Um, with the conversations we had earlier about agency and, you know, where we live, how we live. Um, I would I would wear I uh, in these kind of, you know, spaces that were clearly not like welcoming. And it was like, I didn't, nothing mattered. Mm. And that's not just like, that's not a, like a, um, a gimmicky thing you know that's like testament to really what scent can mean for people and I always bookend this as well of like fragrance up against capital P perfume that's really what um, mm. I want Daya to exist as is testing that and I think um, well it goes into yeah we kind of <laughs> naturally slid into this one yeah like the the show at Carl Friedman which um, is called To Be Held To Be Held yeah um that that uh to kind of full circle a lot of this conversation as well um was made with a bag that um i i made and started making in jamaica um to give like to give the a bit of context to it um on that trip to hope gardens i spoke about the place my grandma used to visit i um i started finding these palm leaves that would dry in a certain way on the street and uh, i had a bag of water and supplies and things that had broke so i started using that um one of the palm leaves as as like a briefcase anyone who knows me knows i love my briefcases um <laughs> and i uh, just carried on like realizing there's so many of these amazing structures again that like i'd never seen before um that that could be used and like appreciated um rather than just being thrown on piles of trash at the end of the day and um i found this one leaf that settled in a certain form that just was perfect for like a bottle shape or just various other things um, but something about it was um, just cool to me and again going back to what we were saying before about idolizing um, you know well I- idolizing the west um, never to throw shade on like the amount the level of craft for of anybody because that's separate from any kind of nationalism but um people would be very would be a lot more inclined to buy you know a designer bag than have the idea to make a bag from a leaf yeah um but i i would yeah i i took that bag from kingston uh up on the coach um on the knotsford express all the way to trelawney where i like i lacquered it and like uh, varnished it and um uh yeah sorry varnished not lacquered uh let me not disrespect the carpenters out there you know that thing um (laughs) I, I like treated it and obviously like kind of wove and bound um, what would become a handle with string, um, made a loop loop from it. And um, when I I managed to bring it back I don't via know how you got that Atlanta, via <laughs> Atlanta, um, <laughs> brought it back and built this, this structure from the string vest, um, a marina which uh, I got thrown out of a restaurant for wearing in Jamaica. It's still like a kind of loaded, charged garment out there. But it's something for me that I've always, um, well, not always, but in my adult life, I come to realize and appreciate and really seen as a, a connecting point for my heritage and um, my family. And uh, yeah, I, I scented that. That became the diffuser for the fragrance for I um, in, in To Be Held. And um, 
and the the wire. Yeah, the this was all hung on a on a close uh, like a clothes wire, like like you would see in in a lot of houses uh, in Jamaica for drying clothes, and a regular peg, like a, a yellow clothes peg. Um, but a lot of those ideas translated back, um, and people would see the marina, they would see the the leaf and kind of recognize it, but not really know why. And it's a similar reaction to people when they smell the fragrance. There's this intern, there's this inner knowing. Um, they understand it, but they're just not quite sure why. Um, and uh, so yeah, that was a, a really informative uh, moment for me to understand that these ideas move from sculpture to scent mm -hmm. um, and again to graphics, uh, to product design um, coming from the same place. Yeah, and whatever else you're gonna end up doing. Um, it's It was so special, especially in To Be Held to see I, a scent that I'd come to know very, very, very well in a gallery space, in a gallery setting and mm. to see it at the same level kind of as an art piece. And I think that was really intentional in my curation where we had conversations about it, where originally I said, I would really like you to be involved in the show. And then the first you thought maybe you'd make a scent for the show. But for me, it was that the scent has to be seen as an equal piece of work, same as Julian Knox's film or same as Alvin Armstrong's paintings, um, which share its vicinity, which are in a similar space or same as all the other pieces of work in the show. And I think because we use the scent, because we, well, we smell it, we experience it every day, I think almost to kind of compare to photography because we see it so much, we're sort of desensitized to its value. Mm. And I think um, I'm really inspired by how the work that you do, whether in collaborations with musicians or artists or your own sculptural works or work, all the work that you do, you allow us to be intentional about how we engage with scent and it has this really broadening and widening um effect on our experiences which is just really exciting and inspiring thank you i mean um yeah it's it's, it's that same book and as i said like the capital p perfume has a place in luxury commerce but i think scent is around us all the time mm. um, we're constantly using it to navigate um to identify to relate to bond you know, to attract, sometimes to repel, to like, to to really like, you know, understand um, ourselves and our environment. And um, yeah, I'm curious, always curious by the reaction and by how how nuanced it gets. This memory mining process, following people down that again, I'm very grateful to to channel it. Um, but yeah, there's there's this there's so much there that I can't wait to explore yet. But it feels like the start very much. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining us on, well, me, <laughs> on Home Impressions. And again, for anyone that missed throughout, tomorrow Daya launches to the public oi, oi. at Jumbi in Peckham. Yeah, Jumbi in Peckham. Um, on the 31st of May. Yeah, big up Bradley, big up Rudy, big up Nathaniel, big up Spike, and big up St. Lagoon. Um, yeah, tomorrow, 7 till 11. Um, it's free, come through. Smell the scent. Smell it. Smell Carver. Embrace it. And um, yeah, bring your peoples. And also, Carl Friedman, you can see your piece, which is titled... I. Same <laughs> name. Carl Friedman, until the 25th of June. And R.I.P. Jermaine Show... At ICA. At ICA is on till we don't know, but hopefully still on. <laughs> Definitely, Definitely still on still when on. this comes out. <laughs> 
and you collaborated on a series of fragrances through this insane installation that we could do in a whole nother hour talking about. Yeah, that that was, I mean, working with, yeah, working with uh, R.I.P. Jermaine is always like so seamless and we really, yeah, we, we get where we're coming from a lot. There's a lot of more exciting avenues that I can't wait to explore with him. But, well, um, I'd never seen anything like it. So um, Ezra, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you. And for sharing a bit of your journey and your life and your time with us. Um, and I want to say another thank you to Gucci for supporting this podcast. Um, long time supporters and collaborators of home and our practice and our endeavors as we continue. So thank you to Gucci for supporting us and thank you to everyone for listening. Um, Hadja will be back next month with our fourth episode of Home Impressions and have a glorious week until then. Bless. Bless.